0: brother, happy 2020, this could be the year that he returns. And I thought, what if we're singing songs about the church being ready. But as your pastor, my concern is always, are we ready? If 2020 were the year, are you ready? Is your family ready to stand before Him and give an account for how you've lived your lives and how we've ministered through this church to this community and reached the outcast and the poor and the lost and those that other people will have nothing to do with? Are are, are we ready to stand before Him and say we did our best? And so that kind of challenged me and... uh, A few weeks ago, during our Christmas series that we called God with You, I asked uh, my wife Lynette to speak one Sunday because she loves Christmas as much as I love Christmas. And I just asked her to share from her heart what Christmas means to her and to share with you what she felt like God would want you to hear that Sunday. And one of the things that she said uh, during her message to us, the message that God without a doubt, gave her to share with us that Sunday, she shared with us a point that really grabbed my heart. And I don't know how many of you actually caught uh, what she said, but she shared that Sunday that our church has a membership of right around 500 people. Can you believe that? (laughs) 500 people uh, have their membership in our church. But on any given Sunday we have anywhere from 275 to 375 in worship. And uh, when she shared that, you know, I thought, you know, that's something that we all, we talk about, you know, as a family. Uh, We worry about as a staff, are people really committed? If they're not committed, what are we doing wrong? You know, and we have those kinds of conversations. Do y'all love me? Because I feel like I I love y'all enough to earn the right to share with you what I'm sharing today. And so, don't get up and walk out. Stay with me till the end. If you want to leave after that, you're more than welcome. Uh, But it's not just our church where we're seeing this trend. And it's concerning. Don't get me wrong. It's concerning that we have a membership of 500 and our average attendance for the year is 350. That is concerning. All right? I won't lie. But... The trend that we're seeing is nothing new to what's taking place in churches all across America. It's the trend. It's, it's It's just the world that we live in today, and we often say that. It's the culture and the world that we live in, so we just have to embrace it. I'm here as your pastor today to tell you I'm not willing to embrace it. I believe we've embraced too much that our culture has pushed onto us. And we've accepted without even thinking twice about it. And So I, I don't think that's something that I feel comfortable embracing today. And, and so, you know, and again, it's not just our church, but we're seeing this trend all across America. But at the root of it, it's not the fact and it's not the point that people are becoming less and less committed to the church. And you might want to argue with me and say that people aren't less committed. And I'll have that debate with you because I'm going to tell you something. When I was a kid and you called yourself a Christian, people were committed to the church. huh? We went on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And the only way my mama wouldn't let me go is if I was throwing up or running a fever. That was the only excuse. Right? There wasn't a ball game. Huh? Why do we have ball games on Sunday? Because we've allowed people to schedule ball games on Sunday, and we're taking our kids to play in ball games on Sunday. If you got the best player on the team and you say, My kid ain't playing on Sunday, they're going to do their dead level best to schedule on another day besides Sunday. Hello? You okay? I'm going to preach today. No, I'm not going to preach today. I told somebody, I said, I'm going to meddle today, and probably some folks ain't going to like it, but I'm sorry. I, as your pastor, I got to just. Share with you. We're family. Sometimes you've got to have a family meeting. We're having a family meeting. All right? I remember the temptation when I was a kid. I'm not even preaching from my notes, just so y'all know. I ain't even started, so, yeah, we're going along. Um, When I was a kid, the greatest temptation that we had about missing church was that those Hollywood people, you know who I'm talking about? They would play the Ten Commandments when. Sunday night, huh? The devil was in that, trying to tempt us church folks, keep them going to church. We can stay and watch the Ten Commandments and then be kind of like going to church, right? Can I just tell you, I've never seen the movie Ten Commandments in my life? Huh? Because we weren't allowed. That was of the devil to have movies on Sunday night and stay home and miss church. Folks not committed like they used to be the church. We made every excuse in the world to make that okay, all right? I'm going to preach. Um, I'm going to get to my notes. But here's, here's the fear. Here's, here's what is happening across America today is that Jesus is a part of a lot of people's lives, but He's not first in their lives. He's a part of, of their life, but He isn't at the center of their life. And, and don't get me wrong. We've seen some phenomenal things here in this church. Wow. The things that we've seen. Happen in a little town like we live in. And God to do, God to do what he's done in a, a little church like this. And yeah, we used to be a little church. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks are around this country, and some of you don't know it, but they, you know, they look at statistics. They look at what's going on around our denomination. And I've talked to general superintendents and, and lots of other folks. And they're amazed at the fact that our membership is 10% of the population of the city that we live in. That's unheard of. That, that's not normal, and and so you know what God has done here is amazing. What God has done in and through the people of this church is is incredible, and and we continue to see new faces come. We continue to to see new families move into the community and come and and visit and worship with us every single week. We continue to to see people come to know Christ as their Savior over the last five weeks out of. At four of those last five weeks, we've had baptisms. Uh, more people have talked to me about uh, baptisms coming up. But here's the deal. In all of that and all through the great and awesome things that God has done, we've got to be careful. We've got to be cautious because here's the natural tendency of a lot of churches in our culture today when they have experienced some growth or experienced some things, God doing a great work in the church. The tendency is this. They begin to lose focus on what the mission is, and they begin to work so hard at trying to just maintain what they've got. And and I find us doing that. I find our staff doing that sometimes. we got to just hold it all together, right? we got to keep it from falling apart. I've said a lot of times this church will continue to grow as long as we don't screw it up, right, as long as we don't mess it up. Our community is growing, the church will grow. But we feel like we've got to maintain what we've got, and we've got to keep everybody happy, and we've got to keep everybody on the same page. God, forgive us if we've got our eyes off the mission, and I'm talking to staff here, if we've got our eyes off the mission and got it on maintenance and maintaining what we got. That's not what God called us to do. He didn't call us to maintain, He called us to win souls for Jesus, to make disciples, to go into all the world. And make disciples. And so, you know, studies show that many church that have experienced growth have find them, found themselves uh, in this mode of, of maintenance, just trying to maintain what they've got, hold it all together, and keep it from falling apart, and keep other people from, you know, keep them from going to another church down the road. And as your pastor, as your pastor, it's my responsibility, folks, to make sure we stay focused on what we need to be focused on. And that doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy. That means sometimes we just have to have a family meeting. <laughs> and I can't think of a better time to have one than the beginning of 2020. To get everyone on the same page. Advancing the mission instead of trying to maintain what we've got. But the truth of the matter is there's a lot of people in churches today that are singing the songs. He is Lord of all and he's not Lord at all in their lives. He's just a part of what they're doing. He's a part of of their life, and He's not the center of their life. He's not the foundation uh, of their life, and they're just sitting on the sideline watching the rest of us try to do the work of God. There are a lot of people that attend churches today who have never really bought into the mission, and the mission is to save the lost. The mission is, it isn't just to maintain what we have, but the mission is that we will be committed. Listen, we will be committed to do whatever it takes to win the lost. You with me? Huh? To do whatever it takes to win the lost. And, and not only that, but to reach those who are hurting, to reach those who are outcasts, to reach those who may not be welcomed in other churches but so that they would be welcomed here because they're welcome because they're children of an almighty God. And they deserve His love, His mercy, His grace, and His forgiveness just as much as we do. And we can't lose sight of that. And then we must disciple those people. Well, how do you do that? Is there a special program? Do we need to buy some new videos to show people? No, discipleship is simply done through fellowship, through getting people together. How long has it been since you've invited somebody just to go to breakfast or go to lunch or go to dinner just so you could fellowship with them, encourage one another as Christians? Another way we do discipleship is through Bible study. That means, yes, thank you, Josie. Sunday school is important every Sunday. Huh? Small groups are important. Wednesday night Bible studies are important that's how we discipleship people that's how you get discipled and we all need that everybody needs that that's a part of the church i'm gonna get to my notes now if that's all right this mission can simply be defined like this putting jesus first in 2020 put jesus first in 2020 not just making him a part of our lives or part of what we do, or part of our family, maybe a couple Sundays a month if we don't have a better offer, putting Him first in all things. Call me crazy, but I still believe God wants to do some great things in the days ahead. I don't think He's done. If He was done, He'd already come and got us. He's not finished yet, and I believe with all my heart the best is yet to come. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what that looks like, all right? If you're interested, that's what we're going to be talking about What that looks like as we look at Paul's letter to Colossians. Some of you are going to think I've lost my mind because the passage I'm looking at this morning is the exact same passage I preached from a few weeks ago. (laughs) All right, I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. Uh, Sometimes people point out, "Yeah, you preached on that back in January in 2000." Yeah, yeah. Well, I preached on this four weeks ago, so we're going to hit it again. How about that? Uh, uh, Because as I prepared from this passage. uh, For that message, something stood out to me that I felt like we just really needed to dig deeper into. And so, yes, we're going to look at it uh, again, but we're going to look at the whole letter of Colossians uh, as we start this new year. Because I I, I felt like this is important because Paul, Paul wrote this letter. The point of his letter is basically this, and I think it's perfect as we enter into a new year. The point of Paul's letter is this. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. Right? Yes, Jesus has done a lot of awesome things for us, no doubt. Matter of fact, I'd be willing to say that Jesus has done more for you than anybody else in this world has ever done or will ever do. Huh? He's done done some, some great things, but it's not about us. Now, real quick, just to give you some history to the context of this letter. First, we know that it was written while Paul was in prison. One of the many times that he had been put in jail. Why? Because he put Jesus first. Right? And so he writes this letter from jail. He's in jail because he refused to stop telling everybody that Jesus was Lord. He refused to stop telling everybody that Jesus has risen from the dead. He refused to water down the message. He refused to, to allow culture to shape his message. And so it didn't make him very popular. So he found himself in jail. Uh, We also know that that Paul had never actually met these Colossians that he's writing this letter to. Never actually met the church. A friend of his started the church. We see there in verse 7, his name was Epaphras. I believe is how you pronounce that. But Epaphras shared with Paul some things that were going on in the church uh, that was very concerning to the Apostle Paul. And so thus the reason that he's writing that letter. The first thing uh, is that Paul is concerned because the believers seem to have uh, begun to get influenced by the culture around them in a way that had misconstrued their beliefs about God. It had uh, uh, basically watered down the gospel, uh, and it affected the mission as a church to do what the church had been called to do. And, and then secondly, he's addressing their concerns about why he's always in jail. Uh, you know, they're beginning to question, all right, this Apostle Paul, he's a man of God. He's, you know, speaking the Word of God. Why is he spending so much time in jail? Why every time I look at Booked, he's on there? Huh? You know, I mean, if if it were me, think about it. You understand the murmurings because if every Sunday we had a guest preacher standing up here, oh, by the way, the pastor's in jail again, right? The board would very quickly go, we can't have this. This is bad perception for the church. The dude's in jail all the time. And so, you know, we're going to cut him loose and let him go, right? Uh, And uh, just for the record, side note here, I I watch Booked every single day. You can ask the staff. I check it regularly just to see if any of y'all are on it. And so, and y'all think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Because more often than not. uh, So anyway, Paul's writing them this letter. He writes them this letter first to correct their view of God and secondly to explain why he's willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and oh, by the way, that they should be willing to do that as well. Now, just a little bit about this city. It was, uh, it's a place where today would be middle of modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was a very prosperous and thriving city. Uh, it was part of the Roman Empire. It was filled with all kinds of shrines and temples to all kinds of different gods. These magnificent shrines and temples that had been built, basically what was going on was anyone that basically had some sort of belief in God or a God and they didn't agree with the Christian church or whatever, they would go build their own church, their own shrine or temple. And so you had these things popping up all over the city, right? Different people that believe different things going to different places, right? Uh, Some, you know, would would, uh, say that, you know, they believed in Jesus or whatever. Some, just other gods whatsoever. So you had all these different places of worship. And basically the idea was this. You've got all these places. You just go find one that fits you, is comfortable to you, And makes you feel good and you're okay with, and, you know, that'll work. Maybe add a little bit of Jesus if you want to, but as long as you're comfortable with it and don't claim that your way is the only way, right? And what happened was is this buffet style of religion, you know, what was happening with all these other places of worship coming together, what was happening was this pick and choose what you like and what you don't like, was beginning to find its way into the church because oh by the way down the road they don't do it that way they don't make they you know they don't ask people to do these things they don't ask people to sacrifice they don't ask people to tithe they don't even receive an offer you know and all these different things were going on these different ideas and it was beginning to seep into the church and it was beginning to affect the church because uh, because of what was going on around them and, and you know they weren't actually rejecting Jesus they had just turned. Uh, their faith into more like a uh, I don't know how to say it other than Jesus light <laughs> you know some of y'all kind of know y'all know what Bud Light is right so kind of like that some of you don't know they had turned their faith into a Christian light version a Jesus light version uh, of Christianity and I'll be perfectly honest that sounds a whole lot to me like what's going on in our world today Sounds a whole lot like it, right? And so here's what Paul says in response to that. What's going on starting in verse 15. And again, yeah, this is going to be familiar to it. We looked at it originally a few weeks ago from the NIV version. I want to let us to look at it from the NLT version today. Uh, because I like the way uh, it says what we're, we're talking about. Verse 15, chapter 1, Paul says this, Christ is the visible image So what does Paul mean that all things were created by him and for him? Well, basically what Paul is explaining here and we looked at is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. The only uncreated thing is God, which means that Jesus was God. Now, I would say that most of us here today agree with that, right? I would say that the majority of us here today would agree with that, but there are other religions in our culture today that don't agree with that. As a matter of fact, there are some other uh, religions and people even in our community today that don't believe that. As a matter of fact, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness and the Muslims and some others as as well will teach that Jesus, yes, was a great man, that Jesus was a great moral teacher or maybe even they might call him a, a prophet, but they will still strongly reject the fact that Jesus was God and that Jesus is Lord, even some to the fact of where they may want to get violent about it. Because if Jesus is God, the rules of life change altogether if he is Lord. That changes everything because it means that if Jesus is God, then don't miss this. Jesus must be at the center of everything because everything was created through Him and for Him. So that changes everything. If Jesus is is Lord and Jesus is first. Friends, think about this this morning. You were created by Jesus and for Jesus. I want you to let that sink in. You were created by Jesus, and you were created for Jesus. But there's a lot of people in our world today that think they were created for other reasons. So, so there, there are some people today who think that they were created to be a parent, some think that they were created to be a spouse. Some think that they were created to be a a singer. I thought for years and years and years that I was created to play sports, right? Because I was God's gift to sports. But there's a lot of people today that think that's why God created them, was to play sports or to be a teacher or they were created to be a builder or created to be a banker or created to be a counselor. You know what? We can't miss this today. We weren't created for our parents. We weren't created for a job. We weren't created for anyone's pleasure, not even our own. You, my friends, were created for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you were created for. All things were created through Him and for for Him, which means this. If that's the case... If that's our theology, if that's our doctrine, if that's what we say we believe, then it should be our primary purpose in life to know Him. To discover His will for our lives and then to live that out each and every day. And here's the deal, you know, you will only find fulfillment in this life, and I've said this time and time and time again, you will only find fulfillment in this life when you know Him and you are living out His purposes for you. You want to be fulfilled? You want to find fulfillment in your life? You live your life for Him and His will for your life, and you'll be fulfilled. You will find fulfillment there. All things have been created through Him and for Him. It's Jesus first. And folks, there's no other way. Paul continues, because obviously y'all haven't got it yet, so we're going to keep going. Paul continues in verse 18, and this is what really jumped out to me a few weeks ago when I was looking at this. Look at this. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So if he's the head of the church... And we're the body. And we must put Him first. And the body is attached to the one that we must put first. What does that say about the church? You don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it. but We must put the church first. The church is His body. We put Him first. We put the church first. He is the beginning. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So what's Paul saying? I'm sweating. So what's Paul saying here in a nutshell? Jesus first. It's Jesus first. He's the creator of everything. He's the template from which everything was made and the one that it was all made for. Jesus is is not just something nice that God gave us, you know, to have. It's just something nice that he created for you. Jesus is the creating force and the purpose behind all of creation. And so Paul concludes because of that, we should put Jesus first in our lives. Folks, I hate to tell you today, but Jesus just should not be an important priority in your life. He, he should not just be one of the important priorities that we have on our schedule. He's not just an important chapter in your story. He is the book by which all the other chapters of your life should be written. And we say amen and we nod our heads because this is our theology, this is our doctrine, this is the foundation of our faith. But folks, can I just tell you today, what is true in our theology must be true in how we live our lives. What our doctrine and our theology says has got to line up with the way we live. The book is not going to get you to heaven. Your theology is not going to get you to heaven. What's going to get you to heaven is living by that theology. And it must be true in how we live our lives or, or what we say our theology is and the way we live our lives. If they don't line up, then guess what? What we say, we believe, we really don't believe. You okay? Sorry, my nose is running and I'm... Just been getting lessons and all this. There. Jesus is not just something that we put on our list of priorities. He's the page on which all of our priorities should be written. Because Jesus is why you exist. It's why you're breathing. It's why you are alive today. Are you alive? Some of you I'm wondering about. (laughs) Can I tell you this, you're only alive because of Jesus, period. And so here's my question for you as we enter into 2020. Does Jesus hold that position in your life? Or is he simply another priority that you're trying to juggle? In other words, is Jesus important to you or is he first? Is Jesus important to you? Or is he first? 115 years ago, on this piece of ground right here, there was a group of people who said, Jesus and his mission will be first. They were totally committed to it, they were totally surrendered to it. Whatever it took, Jesus first. His mission first. And folks, today you and I, we're enjoying the fruit of that. We're enjoying the the fruit of their tremendous faith and the fact that they put Jesus first. A few years ago I was at a funeral. I heard this old Chinese proverb shared that I made note of in my phone. It says this, Those who drink the water must remember those who dug the well. I shared that at my uh, good friend Ray Gerard's funeral. That dude straight up crazy. He did his dead level best, put Jesus first. He didn't always get it right. He wasn't perfect. He was crazy. But I often think back on the faithful ones that put Jesus first. Those who drink the water. Must remember those faithful saints that dug the well. We're privileged. To drink from that well. To enjoy water today by a, from a well that was dug by people who put Jesus first. But like I said earlier, what tends to happen is when churches begin to grow, things start going good and everybody's happy. The natural response is to move from the mission to maintenance, and they go from being reckless, (laughs) they go from, you know, being reckless in this mission of God to being comfortable in the institution. I saw a chart recently that really disturbed me, so I want to share it with some of you, and I'm praying that it disturbs you as well, to be honest with you. But this chart defined basically two categories, and it was by generation. I didn't think that was fair because it kind of lumped all the current uh, generation into a, a category that I didn't fully agree with because I know there are some people in the current generation who are putting Jesus first in their lives. Uh, and so I don't think it was that, that was a fair assumption. But I want to break it down this morning like this. And I want to base it off this proverb. First, those who dug the well and then those who are privileged to drink from the well. Those who dug the well, they were willing to do whatever it takes. Those who dug the well were willing to dig, to get dirty, to sweat to be committed to digging the well. They were committed to doing whatever it takes. Those who drink from the well may be tempted to do what only they're asked to do. Those who dug the well, they assumed there was going to be personal responsibility by putting Jesus first. Those who drink from the well may have the tendency to think that someone else will do it. And they're not personally responsible for the mission. Those who dug the well, they expected personal sacrifice. They expected it. They knew that it would be a part of putting Jesus first, that there would be personal sacrifice. Those who drink from the well have a tendency to expect personal comfort. Those who dug the well, they saw a problem and they solved it. They saw a problem and they took care of it. Those who drink from the well have a tendency to see problems and complain. I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can this morning. Complaint department's closed. Just so you know. Those who dug the well saw possibilities. And they dreamed about what could be. Those who drink from the well have a tendency to see barriers and reason to quit or walk away. Those who dug the well, they stepped out with bold, reckless trust in God. Those who drink from the well have a tendency to sit satisfied in the stability of the institution that's been built. Those who dug, they feared holding anything back from God. Those who drink have a tendency to fear commitment. Those who dug felt privileged to be a part of the movement of God. Those who drink feel entitled to the benefits of the institution. So can I just ask you today this, where are you? Where are you? As the pastor of this great church, it would be very easy for me just to try to maintain what we have and call it good. But as your pastor, I can't do that. And I cannot allow us to continue to drink from the well of those who put Jesus first before us and not challenge you and call you to put Jesus first and dig new wells for those who are going to come behind us. We are experiencing the fruit of bold, reckless, and total commitment to Jesus by those who came before us and put Jesus first. We're the fruit of their amazing and audacious faith that they had. All that we enjoy is because of those who before us that put Jesus first. And I believe with all my heart that He's not done. I believe with all my heart that God is not finished here. There are new people to reach. There are new families moving into our community every single day to be reached. There's another generation of kids that are being born. There's pregnant women in here right now. There's another generation Right? To to reach and, and, and you know uh I've lost my place. That's what happens when I get away from my notes. I just but you know what the, the faith of the previous generations was awesome and we're blessed by that, but it, it's not enough. It's not enough to take us where I believe God would have us to go in, in twenty twenty. I believe the future of the life of our church depends on it. I believe the future of your family depends on it. I don't just believe that. I know that. I know that the future of this church depends on whether or not we're going to put Jesus first. I know that the future of your family, the spiritual condition of your family, depends on whether or not you're going to put Jesus first. And I believe the future of our community depends on it as well. When we came here 20-something years ago, the average attendance was um, 150 people. I went back and looked just to make sure I was right. 150 people. And like many of you, I look back, that old sanctuary over there, that green carpet. But i look back with a lot of affection. A lot of love. A lot of respect for those people. For that group of 150. They were courageous. They were bold. They were selfless. They were generous. But for the most part, their day is past. There's still a few that are left around here, but many have gone to be on, go home with Jesus and be with Him. Folks, we're next. You know, they say in sports all the time next man up. We're up. We're up. We're the next generation. We are the next wave of this movement. Look around you today. Will the people seated around you and those that you see on this platform, will they offer themselves to what God wants to do next? Because I don't believe God has done I believe there's still more joy in heaven over one lost soul who is saved than the 99 who are already in here. Our community is growing at an incredible pace. We're blessed, y'all. There's a lot of communities that are shutting down. A lot of communities that are falling apart. People are moving away. Guess what? We live in the community they're moving to. What an opportunity for us. What a blessing. God put us here to reach them. God's bringing them here so that we might reach them. Will our church rise up and say yes to what God wants to do in 2020? To reach people for Jesus in this generation at such a time as this. Friends, there's so many stories that haven't been written yet. (laughs) So many stories that haven't been written. So many lives that need to be impacted and it all has to do with whether we're willing to put Jesus first or not in our lives, in our families, and in our church. And this may, today may be your first time here today, and you're thinking, I picked a weird Sunday to come visit. And maybe so. But you know what? Just maybe God brought you here to join us. You know, maybe you coming today wasn't an accident after all, and God wants you to join what He's doing here and what He's going to do in 2020 and jump in and be a part of that. And I want to encourage you also, come back for the next few weeks. Give me a chance. (laughs) All right? Come back, all of you. Come back for the next few weeks as we unpack this. All of our sermon series are important, but I just believe that this one is extremely important for our church. So I want to ask you, if at all possible, prioritize being here every single week if you can. I believe that if we will commit to putting Jesus first in 2020, that this will be a defining moment for the future of our church and the direction that we are heading in the days ahead. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. And this morning, Hayden asked me, he said, what time do you want me to come up and play You want me to come up and play at the end of the service? I said, no, it's going to just end awkward. (laughs) I don't know any other way to do it. This morning, I'm going to ask you to publicly put your yes on the table. To publicly say yes, I will put Jesus first in 2020. The particulars of that, we don't know. You don't know what the particulars of that are going to be. Just that you're willing to say, yes, I'll put Jesus first, and I'll be listening. And I'll be available to what He wants to do in my life and in my family and in our our church. And if that's you today, I just simply want you to stand with me as we close together with a time of prayer this morning, committing to put Jesus first in 2020. If that's you, would you stand with me as we close? God, this army of people that stands before you today is unstoppable. I thank you for the willingness I thank you for their commitment to stand before, not just their brothers and sisters in Christ, but to stand before a holy God and say, yes, I will put Jesus first in 2020. I don't know what that means. I don't even know what to expect from that. But I want to put him first. I want to make Jesus the page that all of my other priorities and plans are written on and around. And so, God, today, I thank you for this awesome reminder of who we are. We are your creation. You created us. All three things were created through you and for you. And we needed to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that daily because I believe that will change our focus to where it needs to be. And that's on you. And that's putting you first because we were created for you and for no other reason. So, God, today, I know you're doing a work here. I thank you uh, for this word today that... Uh, You gave Paul to share with this this church centuries ago. But God, it's so real and it's so relevant to us here today. God, forgive us if we have gotten to a place to where we're just trying to maintain what we've got and to keep everybody happy. God, forgive us of that. But God... I pray that we'd stay focused on the mission, and the mission is to do whatever it takes to win the loss, to do whatever it takes to reach this world for Jesus, to reach out to the hurting, to reach out to the sick, to reach out to the outcasts, just like Jesus did when he was here. Man, he he was with people that nobody else wanted to be around, and everybody thought he shouldn't be around. God, help us to be more like that. Help us to be more like you. And yes, it's going to get messy. It's going to make people mad. People aren't going to understand it. People are going to talk about us. But God, all that really matters is what you think. We stand before an audience of one today, and that's all that truly matters. And so I pray today that you would find us faithful. And we look at this, and we go, it's an overwhelming task. We can never do it. That's exactly right. We can never do it. But you gave us a helper Your Holy Spirit is here to lead us and to guide us. And I pray that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. Because we've seen the power of that in the book of Acts and what happened when this movement began. I pray that the next wave of this movement would start as we move out these doors uh, uh, today. We're not leaving the church today. Thank you so much that the church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. It's the living, breathing people that you've called to this mission. And we're going to go out from here today living out that mission. That's what we've been called to do. Give us the help that we need. Give us everything that we need in order to be able to do it. And we will give you the glory and the honor that you deserve in the days ahead as we watch what you do in and through some people and a church who's willing to put Jesus first. And God, if you were to come back this year, if 2020 is the year that you return, I pray that every single one, we sang about it earlier, that all of us are ready for your return. But God, if there's one here today that's not ready, I pray that they would get themselves ready that they would uh, uh, find a place, find a time today before it's too late to make that commitment to you, surrender their life to you, to put you first in their life because they've been trying to put everything else first in their life and that's just not working out. It never works out. We'll never find that fulfillment without finding our lives where you want them to be and that's in a relationship with you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the faithful saints of the past. But I pray that this generation, this group of people, would be looked back upon and go, they, they were faithful. They dug the wells. They dug the wells that needed to be dug in their time. God, find us faithful and forgive us when we fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.